This is the letter that changed the world, the biblical theology of Romans. This is part 54. If you didn't get study notes when you came in, uh, or a prayer list, if you let the ushers know, just lift your hand. They're walking down the aisles with them, and they'll bring you one. But you've got to keep it up just long enough for them to see you. We'll make sure you get one. We're starting the 14th chapter of Romans. Knowing what matters most. Strong convictions balanced with encouraging hearts. Strong convictions balanced with encouraging hearts. The subject is the same pretty much for the whole chapter. But we'll get into introducing it tonight in the first four verses of Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or her. But not to quarrel over opinions. And I want to say right off the bat, what we're talking about in this study tonight is different matters of opinion, not areas where the Bible gives gives clear, solid teaching. In other words, the issue here tonight doesn't apply to, you know, some churches think it's okay to have same-sex relationships, some churches don't. And so live and let live in these matters of opinion. That's not what this is about. This is about where you don't have sort of clear biblical teaching and different people have different issues of conscience that for various reasons they've brought with them into their conversion experience. So that's what it's talking about here. Not issues of biblical morality where the Bible gives clear teaching, but issues where they're personal issues of conscience. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a second. Welcome the one who is weak in faith, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. That's not a slam on vegetarians. You know, you can tell if a person's a vegetarian. Don't worry, they'll tell you. (laughs) Verse 3. Let not the one who eats... Despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Just to back up and get a big overview, the passage is useful in the way it teaches something that is Uh, a little different and frequently ignored on the subject of spiritual growth. I mean, we all want to grow to be more like Jesus. I think that's a given. We all want to mature, and we all picture areas of our lives where we want our character shaped and developed. We have these ideas, the greatest area of need, my my prayer life, my, my commitment to holiness, my Bible study, things that need correcting, things that need transforming, I know mine, you know yours. That's how we walk in our relationship with Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. It's all well and good as far as it goes. But it does create a potential danger in the body of Christ. There's a a different kind of spiritual growth, a little bit more symmetrical, that Paul talks about in these verses. It's not simply a matter of, of growing in one area and then another area and then another area. Like, like uh, becoming more biblically informed and then becoming more sexually pure and then controlling my temper. So there's a, that kind of sequential growth. I'm going to deal with this 
and then I'm going to deal with this, and then I'm going to deal with this. That kind of one after another approach, it, it leaves room for, for a potential imbalance in one area of my Christian walk while I might be focusing on another. And here's something else it can do. It, it can foster the Lord's dealing with me about a particular area of my Christian life. And it can easily make me critical when I don't see you focusing on the very same issue in your life at the same time. What's with you and your worldly heart? Whereas the Lord might be dealing with you at a particular time about another issue in your life that I'm not thinking about right now. So that kind of sequential growth where all my attention gets focused on a particular area... I can focus on one area while ignoring something else that the Holy Spirit might want to talk to me about. And I can become critical of other people who aren't focusing on the same area that I sense the Lord drawing me into. So I think they're backslidden or weak, as Paul will talk about them in this text. And so Paul talks about uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a different kind of spiritual growth that not only matures my own walk with Jesus but makes me a little more gracious with everyone else's walk with Jesus. And that can't help but be a good thing in the life of a church. And so, hence the title of this teaching. We all need to grow in rock-solid biblical convictions on matters of biblical truth, not giving an inch. And at the same time, we need to grow as loving encouragers of other members in the body of Christ at the same time. That's what Romans 14 and 15 are really all about. And the first four verses just kind of introduce this great life-framing principle of a balanced, loving pursuit of holiness that, that, that does two things. It's passionately self-crucifying. Hard on myself and the deadly effects of sin in my own life. And at the same time, fostering a humble attitude toward the way the Holy Spirit might be working in different areas in the lives of other people. So here are some of the key principles. We'll just introduce them tonight, and we'll be in this for, for a few Sunday nights together. Point number one. While our sins are erased at conversion... We all bring our past into our new life in Christ. That might surprise you that I'm saying that. I think it's biblical. I know we are new creations. I know the verse. But then, while Paul does say that, two-thirds of the New Testament was written to help these new creations deal with habits and misconceptions formed before they were saved. We are new creations in the sense that I bring, praise God, I bring no guilt from my past into my walk with Jesus once I am saved. A cleansed heart. New creations also in the sense that I am indwelt by the Spirit of God. There is, there is high potential, a new creative purpose that unfolds in my life that goes beyond my brilliance or my self-will or my best efforts. So there is a new life resident within me. 
to draw me into the likeness of Christ, to help me to grow in godliness. But I'm not a new creation in the sense that who I was up to the point of my conversion experience has just completely ceased to exist. Nor are you. And that helps explain Paul's words in this text. We need to set up an understanding of the context. There were weak Christians, he says, and there were strong. What's that all about? Well, the context explains the difference. And, And scholars differ on some of the details, but overall it's pretty roundly understood. There were some Christians in the church at Rome who had very recently come out of Judaism, new converts. Rome was a mix of Gentiles and Jews, and that's why it it really sprang to life some of the issues Paul has to deal with in his letter to the Romans. So Christians who had just been converted out of Judaism, they'd lived their whole lives until very recently with this conviction that Almighty God had told them there were certain certain foods that were not to be eaten. Not all meats, to be sure, but some that were specifically called unclean, not to be eaten. And there were certain times and certain conditions where no meats whatsoever were to be eaten. All fermented drinks were to be avoided. Now, it's hard for us to put ourselves in their shoes. And so it's hard for us to picture the enormous shift in thinking that was required for these newly converted Jews when they came to Christ and were suddenly told that everything they had devoted their whole life to, that whole covenant was now called obsolete. And that is not just something made up. Hebrews 8.13, in speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. That's what God says. What is becoming obsolete is growing old, ready to vanish away. And it was very, very hard for for people who were newly converted out of a whole life of devotion to these principles from God, very hard for them to get their heads around the fact that, well, they pointed to Christ. They're, They're done with. We don't live by those regulations anymore. We know it was hard to deal with because even the Apostle Peter. Do you remember? I won't take time to read it. You have the reference, Acts 10. And Peter gets that vision and this kind of a sheet coming down and this voice from the Lord, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, verse 14, Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is unclean. And God says, hey, if I say something's clean, it's, it's clean. <laughs> but... It's almost impossible for Peter to get his brain around this. That that old covenant was passing away. It was gone. We we have no idea how much Jesus, how much Jesus stirred things up, messed things up in people's heads when he came on the scene saying stuff like this. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And the people who heard Jesus say stuff like that, they they lived their whole lives believing that exactly those things defiled a person. And he said to them, then 
Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? It enters not the heart, but his stomach. It's expelled. Thus he declared all. Thus he declared all foods clean. Exclamation points. And so, there were fairly new Christians in the church at Rome. Some understood this pretty well. Paul calls those strong. They get salvation Not just their sins forgiven. They see all those things pointing to Christ. They see those things passing away. The fulfilling of them in Christ. They understood the big picture of salvation. They had a good strong grasp. But there were others who. who, That was very hard for them to get their heads around. Some understood it well. Some didn't. They were all loved by God. They were all received through Jesus Christ. They were all Christians. But some who had perhaps just recently come out of Judaism. They lived all their lives trying to be holy before God by keeping the rules that God gave. And then they met other Christians. There they were, going out to Swiss Chalet or whatever after church. They met other Christians, many of whom had no, no Jewish background, came out of a Gentile background. They, hadn't, they had none of those commandments None of those commandments in their thinking. And these weak new Christians were horrified to see others ignoring the religious purity that they had devoted their whole lives to. And then something else. There's also the possibility that there may well have been new Gentile believers who came out of occult practices where various meats were offered to idols We know this. In sacrificial rituals, they'd be invited to places where that meat was served. And it may have actually been used in those sacrifices. Now, Paul Paul says, it's just meat. But these Gentiles, they were anxious to leave that old pagan religion behind. And so for them, it was a matter of conscience. If this meat's been offered to an idol, don't bring it anywhere near me. That's part of my old life. And you can see what their intentions were good. So, on various fronts, you can see it. You can just see it. On various fronts, can anybody see how you could have a few arguments in a church like that? Right? You could have a few arguments in a church like that. So Paul says, 14.1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Okay, that's not what you hear. Those who refused unclean meats were troubled and confused. Probably they reasoned that seeing there was so much turmoil and confusion over what could be eaten and what couldn't, then the only sane approach is just to leave it all altogether. They just eat vegetables. You can see where they might reach that conclusion. Last week we studied Romans 13, 13 and 14. Paul writes, same letter to these same people. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So they thought, well, that's it. Not going anywhere near this stuff. Better safe than sorry. I can understand their reasoning. Now, there's a flaw in that thinking. We'll look at it in a minute. But the main point, this first point, 
is this. We can bring our past into the way we approach the Christian life. Things get shaped in our own conscience. I was trying to think of just a, a for instance, a, an example of this. My, my dad, they had a condo here in, uh, in Newmarket. And in the condo, there was a big room that had a, a billiard table. And when we would all visit, Peter, Paul, Ed, and Don, the four boys, we would go down and we would play pool. My dad would go down and watch. It didn't bother him at all that we played pool. He would, he would never play because of some associations that he had with pool halls in his experience. Okay? So, so he couldn't possibly bring his past into doing that with a clean conscience. We didn't have any of those associations. So that, that's the kind of thing. It's kind of a current example. It's not a big moral issue, but he couldn't do it. Not without violating something that he felt deeply. But he recognized our freedom. We didn't have that past. We didn't have that upbringing. We didn't have that same picture. And so it was a different event for us than it would have been for him. That's kind of like what you're seeing unfold in this text. Okay, point number two. As Christians, we don't all mature at the same pace. I mean, I think that seems obvious. You can, you can see it uh, the way Paul brings those words out, weak and strong, when he's referring to these two groups of Christians. All of them were saved, but they didn't all bring the same understanding. Some of the Christians in Rome, he says, were weak, some were strong. Maybe not flattering terms, but Paul has something in mind. But for now, they didn't all mature at the same pace. So, so we know it's, there's nothing magical Conversion is supernatural, but it's not magical. Those aren't the same thing. Regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit. But the growth in Christ, it's not just automatic. In other words, spiritual growth is not like physical growth. Uh, I'm amazed at my grandsons when I look at them and the way they grow. Um, and Braden's taller than Rini. But he doesn't work at it. You just grow. Physical growth is like that. Unfortunately, it, it continues like that, only in different dimensions. Physical growth, it, it, just kind of, it just kind of happens. Spiritual growth is not like that. It's not automatic. Spiritual growth is not something that happens while you're doing something else. It's apart from works, regeneration, that's true. And it comes the same way to each and every person, regardless of age, sex, education, position... It's the sheer grace and goodness of God. But it's just a seed, a seed that's planted. It's the start of new life in Christ. But not everyone progresses at exactly the same pace. The New Testament, it, it just has this constant message that if we're going to grow in Christ, it takes, it takes effort. It's spiritual effort. It's aided by the Holy Spirit, but it's not apart from your effort. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. That's quite a, that's quite a name. As infants in Christ. In Christ, but infants. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now you're not ready. So, so Paul had deeper things that he wanted to share with these Christians in Corinth, but, but they weren't ready for it. They hadn't grown. They hadn't developed. They weren't ready for the teaching that he had given to other Christians. You see the same thing in Hebrews 5, 11 and 12. The writer, some people think it's Paul. There's no proof of that. The writer of Hebrews 5.11. About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. By the way, if you've been a Christian. You're sitting here, you've been a Christian for 10 years. Did you know that the Bible expects you to be a teacher by now? I'm just reading it. By this time, you ought to be teachers. Is that in yours too? Something goes wrong if I'm just, if I'm just intake, 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 but nothing, nothing flowing out. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I'm just saying there's two texts, and you could find more, with the same central idea. We don't all mature at the same pace. It takes effort. It takes work. Point number three. There are particular dangers that accompany each level of spiritual maturity. We're almost done. Romans 14 again. The particular dangers that accompany each level of spiritual maturity. I say each level. The weak has a particular danger. The strong has, you'd think he's without dangers. Not, he has a different danger. And Paul wants to talk about them both. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, that's the strong person, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats, okay, that's, that's the strong person. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains, doesn't think he can eat this, can't eat that, can't touch this. Let not the one who abstains, that's the weak person, let him not pass judgment on the one who eats. Now, notice, did you notice something subtle there? The one who is strong has a particular danger. It's he will despise. The one who is weak has a different danger. He will judge. The two aren't the same. The one who's strong will look down and say, you guys, grow up for Pete's sake. Don't you understand your freedom in Christ? You're not bound by those things anymore. When are you guys ever going to grow up? I can't believe the pace at which you're growing in Christ. That's dis- don't, don't you despise people who carry these things along and are going to find this a struggle. Don't you despise them. Then the other side of the coin is the person who thinks all these regulations, they have to be carried in, you have to live by them, and, and dire and mix. They eat all sorts of stuff. I would hate to be them when Jesus comes back. 
judge. Pass judgment, eh? I am holier. So both dangers can live in the body of Christ. The strong has a particular danger. The weak has a particular danger. Paul starts, it's interesting, isn't it? Paul starts by addressing, not the weak one, Paul starts by addressing the strong, the strong in faith. Not because he, he's strong, not because he knows everything there is to know, but he does understand the heart of the gospel. Justification by faith apart from works. This strong person, he or she, has this good understanding that all the laws and regulations that pointed to the coming of Christ under the old covenant, the sacrificial lamb, all those regulations are powerless, they're obsolete, they don't give you any standing before God. So he's strong in that understanding. But, but Paul won't just let him go. Paul won't just let him go. They have a tendency toward despising the weak. Really, really looking down. Don't you start feeling superior. You, you didn't have to wrestle with a lot of this stuff because of your pre-conversion experience. But they do have to wrestle with a lot of it. Truths that came more easily to you come more difficultly to them. And isn't it easy to overlook that? I think it's terribly easy to overlook that. Don't mock the weak. And most important of all, this is later in the chapter, don't you go forcing the weak person to go against his conscience. Come on, Dad, this is stupid. Get the pool cue. Play, play pool with us. Don't, don't do that. Because you're going to teach them to go against their conscience. But it's just something little. Now it is. But in training that person to act against his conscience, he will come into a different situation. This is important. He will come into a different situation when you're not around and he's going to think, oh yeah, he said it was okay to do something that I felt really badly about. Only this, this new issue that you're not around it's not just a matter of conscience. It's a biblical command. And you've trained him to go against his conscience. Do you understand what I'm saying there? He says, don't, don't you do that. Strong person, don't you do that. And then he says, God, God can make him stand. He dresses the weak, the one who thinks the strong are just being morally careless, indifferent to their concerns for holiness and purity. And so Paul tells the weak, don't you go judging the strong. As long as the matters in question aren't central issues, crucial issues, doctrinal issues. If I can find no clear teaching in the scriptures that deal with the issue, then the weak must remember, he says, God has welcomed the strong, the one who freely eats the meat. God's welcomed him. Let me tell you why I think this is important. And I really am almost done now. These are the kind of issues that churches fight and split over. Churches don't split over whether or not they're going to believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Not in our fellowship. Churches in our fellowship never split over belief about the Trinity or the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Churches never split and fight over those things. You know, what they, you know what they squabble over? They squabble over dress, what people wear. They squabble over worship styles. They squabble over volume. They squabble over hymns versus courses. 
They squabble over whether they get to sit in the back seats or whether they have to move farther up to the front. Yeah, those are the big burning issues that muck up the testimony of the church month after month after month in this country. Not everything is a scriptural issue. Not everything sits the same way in every heart. And in non-essentials, the most important thing to remember is the body of Christ. Working together in the body of Christ. We all walk by grace alone. We all stand by grace alone. And the hardest part for all of us to admit is that God can take people who violently disagree with us bless their lives doesn't seem right does it and everyone said 